Father, I thank you for your word. And the things that I'm going to read today are going to be special. And I know that uh, when we are captured, uh, when our attention or our focus is captured in the things that you have said to us, that we walk this walk in a completely different way. And so, Father, I just pray today that we could see that in the midst of all this craziness, that you still have a mission for us and that we need to focus on you more than ever before or we're going to miss it. That thing that you have in store for us. And Father, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 6, this is Jesus praying. And this is his prayer uh, uh, for his disciples. This is Jesus praying for you, okay? He said, I have manifest your name to the men who you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Jesus is talking about you and who he's brought to his, his side and what we have accomplished now. They have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them. How many of y'all have received God's word? Amen? Well, then you're in the midst of this prayer. And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. Sent me, that you have given me a mission. They believe that. How many of you believe that Jesus had a great mission for his time here on the earth? Amen. How many of you would agree with me that his mission is not over? Amen. Hallelujah. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I, know, I'm, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Now listen, and, and I come to you, Holy Father. This is what Jesus says, keep. Uh, I pray, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them. Kept, that word kept there means he watched over them. Like a, a, a military garrison would watch over a fort. That's how much he watches over us. Okay, while I was in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is us. Amen. Listen, people have a, a, a negative affinity towards the things of Jesus right now. It's just the way it is. But... If they see how good you are, and they know who you are, see, this is why this thing is all relational. People know who you are, and they know that you're good, and so they might want the good that's in you. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Here comes our mission. 
Okay, Jesus is not saying, you, 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 come with me. I don't want you to have to deal with this anymore. Dave, yeah, come on, and, and, and Isaiah, come on, uh, Matt, come on. I don't want you guys to have to deal with this anymore. No, he's gave us a mission. He has sent us into the world. And he has been the example, a shining example, of what it looks like to take on a mission and face all the battles that need to be faced for the good of all mankind. Amen? you got a big mission. Oh, hallelujah. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I'll buy that. Amen? So that Jesus is praying that, that God would say to, 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 to the, the enemy, you can't have these. No matter what you try, see, that's, that's a misnomer. You cannot have these. You cannot, you cannot have these. So how good is that to know that Jesus prayed to the Father that the enemy cannot have you? Well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good thing to know, right? That in this world that hates us, we are like stealth because the enemy cannot have us. That's good news. I think I could say, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this message today, right now. Because we know that uh, they are not of the world, in verse 16, just as I am not of the world. 17, sanctify them uh, by your truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart by the truth of who you are. So when it comes to a place of confusion, you don't know what to do. You are sanctified by the truth. The truth will always lead you in all righteousness. All you have to do is say, Father, show me the truth, and you can't go wrong. If you ever wonder about what's true, just look in the Word, and when you apply that to your life, you can't go wrong. Now, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, come on now, as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Your mission is, is that Jesus has sent you into the world. Well, pastor, I don't know what I do. Just mix it up then. Just mix it up with the world. I guarantee you, you'll find that special purpose. And when you find that special purpose, when, but listen, you cannot find that until you decide. Mm, that's the next point. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now that's the beginning. What does it look like to run this race? Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. This is a great formation of scripture here that says something about this mission thing. What do we do with this mission. Let's look at uh, Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he, Paul, said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived where? Among you. See, he, the apostle Paul is saying this, that from the first part of my mission, that when I was sent to you, the mission that I have, I was sent to you, you know from the very first day in how I lived among you. 
And the Apostle Paul must have been saying to them that I lived my life as a shining example of Jesus Christ, the one who sent me into the world and the one who protected me from the evil one. How many times in the book of Acts do we see the hand of God on the Apostle Paul's life, saving him from death and destruction and despair because his mission had not yet been completed? Sometimes when we're on our mission, we wonder, can God really protect us? The answer is yes, but you have to make that choice for yourself. Serving the Lord with all humility, verse 19, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing. Come on now. I mean, Paul left it on the field. We always had a, a phrase in our football team, we would say, leave it all on the field. In other words, uh, when, when, when you're in the game, do everything you can to win the game. No matter how tired you are, how bruised you are, how hurt you are, how hobbled you are, leave it all on the field. And this is what he said, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty simple mission, isn't it? Yeah. That he just went and everywhere he went, this is what he did. Oh, pastor, I'm not exactly sure what my gift is. I, 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 don't, I'm, I don't want you to get confused by that. Every gift you have, he, need, he has for you. Anything you need, God supplies. You don't have to be pigeonholed into one thing. Just go out like Paul did and testify among the people. Repentance towards God and faith toward Jesus. And verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me. You want to know why? You want to know why nothing moved him? Because he made a choice. He made a choice from the beginning. He made a choice from day one when he left Acts chapter 9, moved into Acts chapter 10. And when he moved into his ministry, he made a choice. That I have counted the cost and I have decided that this Jesus who has transformed my life on the road to Damascus is worth serving unto my death he is worth serving because i know one day i will live in eternity with him but i just don't want to escape this life i want to live this life listen you can have god cover you and hide you you can go into your house, pull into your garage and shut the door and never talk to a neighbor and do it again each day. You can hide like that, but that's no life. That's no life. That's not the life that we see in Paul. Paul never hid from anything. Paul never found a garage worth hiding in. Come on now. He never saw a neighbor not worth talking to. God has given us a sphere of influence like he did for Paul. You have a mission. You're being sent. You're being sent. Uh, in verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, mm. so that I may what? 
What's he going to do? Well, I can't hear you. So he can what? Finish what? Look, he, 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 looked, he says, so that I can finish my race with what? Joy. Look, he took this on as, as a race. He took this on as, as a cause. He took this on as, you know, I'm going to run this thing to the very end. And when I finish, I'm going to finish with joy. Isn't that what Jesus prayed for us? That, they, that their, my joy would be fulfilled in them? Listen, living on the edge for the kingdom of God is where joy comes from. It doesn't come from trying to contain yourself and make it to the finish line. You need to run across the finish line. That my race with joy in the ministry, listen, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, what was that? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And he's going to do that till the very end. That is the mission. The mission is defined, we've seen so many times in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you can look at that for yourself. But in order to say this is a mission that I want to undertake, you must know that you need to count the cost. You need to do it right now. Right now, today, you need to count the cost. You need to say, if Jesus is praying that God sent me and now I've been sent by him, what is, is that an honor or a burden? Is that an honor or a burden? How do you feel about that? Well, if you know how much Jesus loved you, then it would be an honor then to return to him what he has given unto us. Amen? Amen. So we need to count the cost. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited about the word today. Yesterday, the day before that. Tomorrow, I'll be excited again. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Let's start in verse 34. Okay, this is, this is what Jesus is saying, not just to his disciples this time, but he's saying it to other people. How do we know that? Well, let me tell you. In verse 34, when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, with his disciples also, he said uh, to them, Whoever desires to come after me, he's just telling them right now, here's a big crowd of people like this, and he would tell you the same thing if this was Jesus. He would say this to you. He would say that whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. How many, would you, how many of you might agree with me and say we have a self-problem? We have a self problem. Now, I'm not saying that it's because you love, don't love yourself or you're not focused on yourself or that everything in life is about you. But what I'm saying is, is we have a self problem. And, and, and the interesting thing is, is that whoever denies, uh, whoever desires to come after me and denies himself puts then himself in somebody else's hands. And we have to choose today, whose hands do you want to be in? Look at your own hands right now. 
and understand that there is a limitation to what these hands can do for you. They're wonderful hands, and I tell people all the time, it's an incredible sign of how amazing God is. Tell your brain to move your right index finger. This is incredible. But that same God who can tell your brain to move your right index finger is telling you to come on board for the mission of the kingdom. And this same God that can do these amazing things with your body can also lead that body into amazing adventures. But until you say, I choose to follow you, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, whoever, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What, are we, what is in it for you to live a safe life? What's in it to you to live a life that's just protected from loss and disappointment? A passionless life that's afraid to love and to live. Jesus says, when you come to me, you will not have a passionless life. As a matter of fact, he says, when you choose to take up your cross and follow me, that you will embrace a kingdom that in the face of the world wants to reject it, and we will discover the passion of life. And when you follow and discover a passion for something worth living, then your life totally becomes unraveled about you and it becomes about him and every place that he wants to lead you. But you cannot find this unless you allow him to lead you. And then it says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man, listen, give in exchange for his soul? Mm. These are powerful things that he's saying. What is worth exchanging the life of the kingdom that he has called you to for the life of satisfying yourself? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For, listen, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to put a disclaimer on these next lines that I read here. I did not write these. And if you want to get mad at somebody, then get mad at God, okay? Uh, sometimes I read the scripture, i got to put that disclaimer on there, that this is not me. Of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you're ashamed of me, Jesus said, then I will be ashamed of you. Turn with me to Luke chapter, or John chapter 15. John chapter 15. You got a choice to make. Make it, make it today that you're going to choose to count the cost and embrace your mission. Okay? John chapter 15. Let's look at verse 10. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Hang out in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my joy, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You notice how this connection is Jesus saying, this is what I do to the Father, or with the Father, and when you do with this with me, we connect together in that ex exact same way. 
He's not leaving out any connector. He's not leaving out anything that he hasn't had that you could have. Now listen, uh, it goes on to say, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Isn't that interesting? We've seen that three different times. That there's something about, uh, you know, we talk all the time about there's something that can make you temporarily happy. But there's only one thing that can give you the joy that God wants you to have. And that's embracing him to your fullest. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one. Now listen to me. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now listen to what Jesus says now. This is kind of changing a whole perspective. You are my friends when you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. This is powerful stuff. You're no longer, when you choose to say yes to him in this way, that you would lay down your life for somebody else, you are no longer in a category of people who live outside the very voice and principles and parameters and, and precepts of Jesus. The power is yours. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, what has he done? He's made them known to you. How many of you could say amen? I'm happy about that. Amen? Listen, when you choose to count the cost, God then lays in your lap adventures that are beyond your wildest dreams. Turn with me to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. What happens when you choose to count the costs and you say, I'm in. 100%, I'm in. When we look at Esther, we see just so many miraculous things that have happened in, in her life to be where she is in Esther chapter 4 here. And I don't have enough time to go into that, but that's what I trust you guys do on your own. Okay, So you should read how Esther got to this place in the first place. And so isn't it interesting that we never know now I'm getting into point four here. We never know ultimately what God is going to do in our lives, but when we say yes and allow him to do it, he already has the pathway prepared for that destiny. That's mind-boggling to think. And when I think of that, and I think of so many times when we say no to the things that he's calling us to do, I think of all the things that we miss out on. There should never be a day in the life of a believer that you say, you know what, this kingdom thing's okay, but I'm bored. It should never be any, any day in the life of a believer that doesn't, you don't wake up and you, you just don't know that there is a day of adventure ahead of you. Now, we know that Esther, in, in Esther, the book of Esther, what her purpose is, is to save the Jewish nation. And she's ultimately put in a position to be able to do that. And Mordecai, her, the, the person that, that uh, uh, raised her and covered her and watched over her, is coming to her because she is now in this place. Mordecai is not in this place. 
Do you realize that when you're in the place you are with Christ and people come around you, that you are in a place that they are not and can't get to, and your mission is, is to help them pass through that way so that they can have what you have? I mean, heaven and hell is, is on the line here for people. But it's not just that. It's for what their ultimate destiny and purposes are here on the earth. We have so much to look forward to. Now, but you have a choice. You need to count the cost. Esther knew that if she went in before the king, although she was made a queen now, unless the, the king summoned her into the place of his attention, that it was illegal for her to do that. She just watched a queen get dismantled from her throne because she disobeyed what the principles and precepts of the king were. But Esther was put in a place to where she had to make a choice. She had to count the cost because uh, there was somebody plotting to kill an entire group of people. Hmm. Daggone if that doesn't sound familiar. I mean, the enemy is trying to kill an entire group of people today, right? right. Or not? Am I right or not right? right? How does he kill them? He keeps them separated from the king. And though the whole world hates you, I, got, I, I love to have to bring that news to you, but Jesus said the whole world hated me, they hate you too. Why? Because you're in a position to change the destiny of people. See, the world, when he talks about the world in that way, he's talking about the, the place that the enemy controls. And that's why Paul said, I'm going to run my race until I finish it, that every person that I can remove from the destiny of demonic forces, I'm going to do until the day I die. And he knew that he would die in that destiny. And we have to, we have to count the cost. And we have to choose that if that would be our fate as well, do you guys realize the fate of all the apostles, Jesus 12? It wasn't a good ending for any of them. Look it up, do some research. Find out how they all gave their lives. But isn't it interesting, for every one of those dudes who gave their life for the purposes of God, we are still moved and motivated by what they have done 2,000 years later. Who's going to be moved and motivated by what you've done in your lifetime? Hmm. What do you call those things that we write up in the newspaper? Uh, no, what's the, we, we call it a, no, um, a memorial. What's the word? A eulogy. Mm -hmm. What's your eulogy going to be? Personally, I think we should eulogize people before they die. Because all those great things we say about that person, they never get to hear them. So I think we should give a eulogy to Duncan. Duncan today. The eulogy that we'll write for you will say, Duncan was a great man of God. Duncan chose to say yes, and because of that, he has an amazing family and, a, and an amazing wife. See, I think we should eulogize people while they're alive. I don't agree with that 
thing you write up. We have to make a choice. And Esther had to make a choice, knowing that if she went before the king, there were consequences. And Mordecai, in verse 13, told them to answer Esther. Because Esther, uh, uh, he had said something to Esther, and Esther said something back to him about this mission. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape, listen to me, Mordecai is, is, is busting out some truth here. Mm. This is, take heed to these words. Do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? Forgot to tell you one thing. The king didn't know she was a Jew. They, they didn't tell the king that when she was going through her purification process. And Mordecai's going, what are you going to do when he finds out you're a Jew? You're going to die just like the other Jews because the edict was given. Mm -mm -mm. Do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than these other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, folks, we cannot stay silent. We cannot stay silent. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. How many people are in your sphere of influence that are on the verge if they died today that they would not hang out with Jesus for eternity? That's pretty, that's, a, that's, that's pretty serious. And this is what he's saying to her. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Here you go. Esther has made up her mind. She has counted the cost. And this is what she has said. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days. Night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You know, I said this at one time in my life. I said, Jesus, I want to serve you like Esther, and if I perish, I perish. I made that, I made that declaration to him. You need to make a declaration like that yourself to him. Right. That if you choose to accept your mission, that you've counted the cost, and then your ultimate answer is, okay, you know what? I've made up my mind, and if I perish, I perish. That's all there is to it. The story of Corey Ten Boom is an amazing story. Amazing story. For some of you who don't know, her and her family found uh, opened up a place of refuge in their home for Jews who were going to be killed in the Holocaust. Follow me, a young girl in an officer's uniform said to me. I walked slowly through the gate, never looking back. Behind me, I heard the hinges squeak as the gate swung shut. I was free, and flooding through my mind were the words of Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. Behold, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut. These are, the, these are the things that she thought on her way out of the, the uh, Nazi death camps. 
okay? Because she ultimately got arrested for what she was doing in saving the Jews. On December 28, 1944, after 10 months of incarceration in concentration camps, Corey Ten Boom was free. She lost her father and beloved sister to the horrors of Nazi death camps. Gaunt, filthy, and weak, Corey made her way to the rail station and boarded a train for a three-day journey back home to Holland. She later found out that an order, listen to this, that an order had been given at the end of the ver at that very week to kill all women her age and older. An error in prison paperwork was the catalyst God used to release her. Guys, God is on your side. He's on your side. You don't have to remain captive to anything of your past. God is on your side. You don't have to remain captive to the things that people told you you would never be. God has released you from that captivity. You no longer have to live in the bondage of fear. God has conquered fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And the one who loves you perfectly is the one who's calling you on a mission. Then the ten booms, listen, all devout Christians had provided a hiding place in their home for persecuted Jews in World War II. Corey was 59 at the time of her arrest. She was my age at the time of her arrest and was placed in an isolation cell for the first few weeks of her imprisonment. Depression and the struggle to maintain a sense consumed her. You know what that says? She was human. She was human. Only to those who have been in prison does freedom have such a great meaning. When you are dying, when you stand at the gate of eternity, you see things from a different perspective than when you think you may live for a long time. I stood at that gate for many months, living in barracks 28 in the shadow of a crematory. Every time I saw smoke pouring from the hideous smokestacks, I knew uh, uh, it was the last remains of some poor women who had been with me in Ravensbrook. Often I ask myself, when, it will be, when will it be my time to be killed or die? Corey vowed if God would allow her to live, she would tell as many people as possible about the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. She also promised to go wherever he led. She miraculously obtained a small New Testament from a prison worker and smuggled it past the guards. Listen to this. Before long, we were holding uh, clandestine Bible study groups for an ever-growing group of believers, and Barracks 28 became known throughout the camp as the crazy place where they have hope. Come on, somebody. I mean, it wasn't enough that she knew she was in there for what she did. And she made a, she said, God, if my mission is now to be inside Barrack 28, I want to share the gospel with everybody who's in there because they might be the next one who's thrown into the smokestacks. And they became known as the crazy place where they hope. I want to be known as the crazy guy who has hope. I want you to be known as the crazy 
believer that you're so crazy for Christ that you move beyond the hatred of this world into the idea of what God has in store for you. No one is exempt from the fiery trials of life. All of us face adversity and suffering. For Corey, the concentration camp was the fiercest place of all, becoming her classroom where she lived and learned the faithfulness of God. You know, you'll never learn the lesson or the love that God has for you until you're in that place that demands your very, your very self. You know, we talked about we got a self problem because we're so concerned about preserving ourself that we lose the excitement of finding God in the midst of giving ourself away. And when you give yourself away, I'm telling you, God finds you in a place and allows you to move into a destiny that can't be found in any other way. Can't be found, the, the passion that you find in giving yourself away, you begin to understand that when John 10.10 10 says, I've came to give my life for you, I've came to give you life, and to give you life how much? Abundantly. See, this is where the abundance of God comes in. He comes in when you choose to lose yourself and make a declaration to say, everything I have is yours. And whatever you want me to do, I choose to do it. Write down Nehemiah chapter 4. This is your homework. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. In Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah was being hounded by every side. And it would have been easy to have just given up the, the mission of rebuilding the walls and just have had everyone stand on guard because everyone was coming against them. But that wasn't Nehemiah's mission. His mission was not to preserve his life. It was to give it for the rebuilding of the walls. And so when you read Nehemiah chapter 4, you'll see that when you choose to be focused and not distracted, you can carry out your mission till the end because you will get to see God's hand of protection. Don't lose your focus. And point number four is this. Allow God to use whatever means necessary to get you to the place of your mission. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And after I make a few points, this is where we're going to end. Because I want you to see that even in the midst of your circumstances, things can look like they're not playing your way. But there's things that God has to do, and if you'll allow him, if you'll allow him to use whatever means necessary to get you to the place of your mission, you're going to be blown away when you get there. Blown away when you get there. Okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to uh, paraphrase a few things here. Uh, Joseph didn't have a great relationship with his brothers. And there was a reason for that, because he was the baby of the family like me. And I know babies get traded differently. How many of y'all are babies in the family right here? 
How many of you are married to a baby in the family? After church, I want to pray for all of you who are married to the babies of the family. They're just treated differently. I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know why it is, but there's just something about the baby. And Joseph was that, and, the, and his brothers knew it. And Joseph had this thing in knowing who he was and how, how uh, he knew he was the baby of the family. He loved to rat out his brothers. He liked to watch them and find them and, and their mistakes, and they made many. And so Joseph had a couple dreams, and his dreams were that the, as the youngest, I'm going to be over all of you, even his parents, that he was going to be over them. And so I'm going to start in verse 9. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And they were like, la-di-da, like I want to hear your first dream was bad enough, like I want to hear your second dream. Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now here comes God doing his thing. You might not think God's doing his thing in all of this, but he is. Then the brothers were sent to feed their father's flock where? Shechem. Okay, keep that in mind. Okay, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And so he said to him, Here am I. Joseph knew that he was on a mission to report to his fathers the things that he knew his brothers weren't doing. And then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the fields and the man asked him saying, What are you seeking? And so he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they're not feeding their flocks. Are you serious? Your brothers? <laughs> Those dudes got a reputation. They never stay where they're supposed to be. And the man said, they've departed from here. And I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. Didn't have a chance to do a Caleb Schaefer word search here on what the, the name of Dothan means, but I can only imagine what it means. And he said, he heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them in Dothan. Let's, let's just take an inventory here what happened. First of all, he has two dreams. They're, they're expressly from God. And he has no idea how these dreams are going to come to pass, but they have found a place in his heart. So the next thing that we know after these dreams, his father's a little discouraged with him, but yet he's still his favorite. So his father sends him out on a mission. And this mission is to go find his brothers who are supposed to be one place, but they're in another. Now, one of the things you have to realize here, see, God is in motion. This is the last time that Joseph would ever be in his home. This is the last time that Joseph would uh, see his father until the time where his, his, the, the fulfillment of the second dream came to pass. Let me, let me just say this. 
I don't believe that Joseph or his father could have released him to do what God wanted him to do. So God had to play this whole thing out to get Joseph out of his house under the favor of his father so that he could do the things that he had set forth for him. Wow. Could that be true? Could it be true that, that I mean, Joseph was obviously his father's right-hand man. You go and see what your brothers are doing. And so when he sent him out, he knew, he, God knew that he would never come back again if Joseph agreed to go. And Joseph agreed to go. He honored his authority first. And then God knew that he would be able to honor him as well in all the other things that he was going to do. But he had to remove him from his father's covering because they probably didn't have the right relationship that his father would have said, you need to get out of this house and go do what God has called you to do. That's the first thing that God did. He removed him from his father's house knowing that he probably wouldn't go in any other way. Mm. That's deep. That's deep. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They were ticked off. They were caught. wonder what was in Dothan. Was it a place where they had brothels? It is a place that they, they got to just be crazy, wild, and do the things that they, they wanted to do on their own. They said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. Mm -mm. They, they were not in favor of him at all. And that's a good thing. Because see, they didn't realize that they were going to be utilized for another purpose of God. Come therefore, let us kill him. Cast him into the pit. But Reuben heard it in verse 21 and delivered him out of the hands, out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit in the wilderness and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they had stripped Joseph of his identity. See, they were stripping Joseph of his identity. Oh, guys, this is so good. This is so good. You're all looking at it like they ripped off the coat of many colors, and that poor Joseph, they were doing him a favor. No longer was he Joseph, the son of Jacob. He was now Joseph, the one who was going to see his dreams fulfilled. <laughs> he had to lose that identity. We have to lose the identity of ourself. Or we're never going to get to the place. We, and some of you have had your identity stripped from you. And you've said, how could this happen to me? I'm sure Joseph thought that, but we never heard him say that, did we? Crazy thing about Joseph. Mm, they stripped his tunic of many colors that was on him. They ripped him of his identity. <laughs> and we all read that like, <laughs> poor Joseph. They did him a favor. They did him a favor. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water. They sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted up their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites. Son of a gun. Son of a gun. 
Are you kidding me? That he's chucked into a well? I mean, come on. This wasn't like Interstate 70. You know, where you could just flag down any car. Hey, here's Joseph. You know, take him with you. We'll sell him for 20 bucks. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Mm, now the business guy's coming out and him. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Well, isn't that just dandy? I mean, they once again thought that, you know, they were the one in control of this plan. Isn't it amazing? When we allow God to use whatever means necessary to get us to the place of our mission, we, we have no idea what it's going to look like. Listen to this. They, so they sold him, let, our hand, uh, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And then you read what it says. What did they do to him? <laughs> How was he ever going to get to Egypt? Had none of this happened. I'm telling you, this is deep. All of this stuff that we would see as absolutely bizarre and, and uncanny and nasty and evil was everything that God needed to do to get him to the place to where his destiny was going to be fulfilled. We take a look at our lives and so often we look at everything we don't have as opposed to putting our life in the hands of the one who'll do whatever it takes to get you to the place of your destiny. See law. Would you stand with me? You have a mission. Jesus, in his prayer in John chapter 17, laid it out. He laid it out. You have to count the cost. And when you do, it just means that you're... When, counting the cost is like stripping the tunic from Joseph. You're, you're exchanging your identity for his at that point. It, it, it's not that I live. What did, what did John the Baptist say? That there would be less of me and more of him. See, John was stripping off his identity and saying, now my identity is in him. I've never read those things in Genesis 37 that way before. <laughs> but everything that had to happen is God using whatever means was necessary to get that boy to Egypt. Next week we're going to talk about the next part of this journey and what it looked like. But understand this, and this is just my teaser, that when he got to Egypt, every place 
that he went, what did he have? God's favor. And it wasn't just on him. Okay, now listen to me. This is why you got to get this. Every place in which your foot shall tread, God has given it unto you. And every place that you are, God's favor is there. And so doesn't it just stand to reason, if you are in a place where God's favor is, that other people are going to be affected? Come on, somebody. When I ask you to say today, you need to choose today. Why? Because there shouldn't be another day that goes by. That in the places where you're supposed to bring favor, that favor wouldn't be there. Not another day should go by. Don't get tied up in who you think you are. Strip yourself of that identity and take on the identity of the king. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on. You know, there's some moments when you get a revelation that only speaking in tongues can hold it down. So today, my encouragement is to you. I hope that you're encouraged to know it's safe to take your cloak off. It's safe. You're in a safe place with God. He'll never leave or forsake you. He'll always be there with you. Father, I am so thankful for your word. You're a master. A master at opening up the spirit of man to receive a revelation that would allow us to walk out of who we are and trust walking into who you have designed us to be. You're a master. Oh, you're a, you are so good. So good. My prayer today is, is Father, that this would be a message that your people would chew on and come to some sort of decision to walk out of the place to where they think they're safe into that place of adventure. Into that place where they'll never know you, who you are, in the safe place until they come out and change their identity. And then they get to see. Jesus, I thank you for praying for us in John chapter 17. Wow. To know that you see me that way blows me away. And today, Father, I just pray that an explosion of kingdom purpose would come to pass from the midst of this enlightenment. And Father, today we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. What a day. What a day. Just out of curiosity, how many of your spirits were lifted through worship today? You just had a lifting. Let that just be something that you keep with you always. Worship lifts us out of pits and puts us back on our path again. Amen?
Go in peace and be prepared. Next week's message is going to be good. Amen? Amen. God bless you.